welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is evening service of Sunday the 7th of March 2010, entitled, Beholding These Things. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 49. Opening with a talk about her upcoming mission to Kenya, here's Shelley Curtis, followed by Pastor Larry T. Curtis. And I've always felt that here is just as much a missions field as, um, as Africa, or anywhere else in the world for that matter, but, um, but really was asking God, would he allow me the opportunity to go and experience something different where I could serve him and, and, and just to change my environment too and be able to just focus my time on just ministering instead of, you know, having to work and do all those things at the same time, which can sometimes, you know, take away from being able to do as much as you want to. Um, so about a year ago, um, I asked God, I always wanted to go to Africa and I thought that's probably just me and maybe God wants me to go somewhere else. So I need to be open to him saying, you know, I want you to go to China or no, I want you to go. And I would have gone anywhere, but I always wanted to go to Africa. And then I prayed of all the missionaries we've had, which we've now got, you know, a lot, you know, 15 or something. We've never had anyone really come through that was um, missionaries to Africa. So I began praying that God would send someone through the church that they would take on that was going to Africa, if that was his will that I go. Then about two months later, Dad says, oh, Canfield's coming through. I met Tom about 15 years ago when he came over on a missions trip to England. And um, I thought, wow, okay, maybe that's God. Maybe I got a little bit excited and thought, no, don't get too carried away. It may not even be. So I prayed and then we met. And when, when they came, I spoke to them and I said, you know what, I've really feel that I'd love to go to Africa. And I've been praying about missionaries coming through. How would you feel if I came and, and sort of helped out at any point in your ministry? They said, oh, we'd love for you to come. So um, carried on praying. And then sort of actually with Yvette and I, we were going to go together. And unfortunately, God sort of um, changed that plan for her. And um, so we started planning it. And you know, when you start planning something, you ask God to show you each step of the way, whether you're doing it for your own reasons or for God. And um, every step, I just started to surrender things and give it to God and say, okay, I'm willing to give this up or I'm willing to sacrifice this. And, and along the way, he just kept answering those prayers. And for the first time ever, I felt he was actually opening the door and not closing it, which was really exciting and uh, almost unbelievable. I, couldn't, I almost couldn't comprehend that it was really going to happen after all this time. Was it really going to happen? So... Um, and then it was getting closer and closer, and I thought, wow, I actually need to start, like, you know, looking at buying a ticket. I need to start, you know, thinking about moving out of my house, and I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do with my job. I can't just give up my job. And, and then the reality of how much I'd need to change really sort of hit me, and um, God just took all those things away and took all the fears away, but also just I prayed and prayed for about six months about my job. I didn't want to just leave it. God actually, my, the head of the school came to me, and she hadn't seen me all year. And she came to me finally and said, How's, how are you getting on? Well, what are you planning to do in April? And my contract runs out in April. And I'd prayed, Lord, I'd like to go when this contract fin- finishes, but I'm going to trust you about a job after that because I might be walking away from my job. And, you know. So my, the head teacher came and said, um, oh, I, I grew up in Africa, she said. I think it'd be amazing if you go. And when you come back, she said, I'd like to offer you this teaching position in September. And um, it was almost not only an answer to prayer, but giving me a secure job when I come back, but also the time that I was supposed to be gone for, I wasn't sure. So God, again, just 
gave me a definite, that's where I want you to go, that's how long I want you to go for, and has provided every step of the way, really. Um, and uh, as you all know, we moved out a few weeks ago, a couple, two weeks ago. Um, so lots of changes. Um, had most of my injections now, but still got a few more to come. But there's lots of things you can pray for. There's um, lots of decisions that still need to be made and things that, you know, I uh, need to prepare. Um, but uh, found my passport, which is a blessing. Thank the Lord. Just thank you all for your prayers on that one. Couldn't find it. Um, and so I need to send off for my visa. And I'm going on the 4th of May. Um, what I'll be doing while I'm out there? Well, um, I think it's a whole, whole uh, kind of... Tom said you can be as, as, as involved as you want. I'm going to be living with them for the four months. Um, so that's another blessing. Um, it's a safe sort of place for me to go and stay. Um, as I know, Dad was probably very worried about me going on my own and being out there for four months. So um, God answered that prayer as well. They, um, they're involved in um, lots of ministries, as, as probably some of you know, since they are missionaries of ours. But they, there is... Um, Denise is teaching, uh, teaching English in a school, and she's also teaching the Bible College as well, training. And so Tom and Denise are both involved in that. And um, they've asked, they've asked, they've said I can be as involved in that as much as that. I'm going to go in very slowly, I think. I'm not going to, I don't quite know what I'm doing yet. Um, so God's going to have to show me where he wants to use me, really. Um, so teaching, obviously God has given me this year of teaching so I don't know if God is sort of just, all of that, it's amazing how God works things out, but whether that's just him preparing me to go and be able to teach there is, is a possibility. Um, I don't even know if I can speak English, let alone teach English. So, um, yeah, American English, I'll be fine, yeah. Um, so, um, and there's also very close to them is, is a couple of missionaries that are working in an orphanage, and um, that's something that I've always prayed that I'd love to go and do. So I, the plan is to work alongside them as well a couple of days in the week to work alongside Denise and Tom teaching. And they're obviously church ministries, children's you know, vacation Bible school. They're running for two weeks while I'm out there in the summer. Um, it's their first one, and they're sort of trying to get, and I'm sure there'll be a whole host of children that come to that. Um, as you know, the need is great. So um, hopefully just a lot of chance to minister and, and be involved in the church as well and whatever they're doing during the week and and obviously with the, with the children um so i'm really going with an open mind as to whatever god wants to use me in um so you can just pray that god shows me when i get out there and uh, that i'll that i'll kind of be able to pick things up as i go along um but i'm i'm really thankful for the opportunity that god's given me and i i just wanted to say very overwhelmed by the amount of support that you've shown me as a church and uh it was very hard for me to get up those couple of Sundays ago because it was just too much for me. I would have gotten up here and cried, and it's hard for me not to now. But um, I just I can't thank you enough for that for the support you've shown me. And I know I have the most amazing church behind me who will be praying for me every step of the way. And and um, and I will miss you all very much. Um, it's a very difficult thing for me to leave, but um, I trust that um, God knows what He's doing in it and everything. So. Um, just continue to pray, and I'll keep you updated. I'll be sending you letters and photos and as much as I possibly can. Um, yeah, and if there's anything else, I have asked the Canfields if there's things we can maybe take over that will be a support and help to them with the children's ministries and different things. They haven't gotten back to us yet, so we're still waiting for that. But as soon as I know, I'll let you know, because I know some people have asked specifically about things they can send. 
Um, and I just, just God has shown me so much through this already that I can't even imagine what he's going to show me while I'm out there working because already my faith is increased so much just from seeing God work every little detail out. Um, so thank you. <laughs> And actually, as we pick up here in chapter 23, he's already gone through all of that the night before, during the night, and now they have brought him before Pilate. He says, and the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him a long season because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped who have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. The chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. The same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before... They were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. They cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. He said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be 
as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. There followed him a great company of people and women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? There were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. The people stood beholding. And the rulers also which with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour. There was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. When Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breast and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. And of course, if we repeat the remainder of the chapter, we find where he was placed in the tomb. In chapter 24, hallelujah, is that first song that we saying this evening, He lives. He lives. He lives within my heart. 
We find as we look here this evening, I want us just to truly just have a short meditation thought. We find once during the reading already, but in these last two verses that we read, verse 48, it said, And all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done. And then in verse 49, it says, And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. I'd like to use that simple thought for our thought this evening, beholding these things. You see, as we look at Calvary, it really is a a sight of great contrast. We see, first of all, that we've just read of this man, Pilate, who had all the power, the title, the prestige, the name, the position. We find three times that he himself says that he can find nothing wrong with this man worthy of convicting and sentencing him. We find this one, Simon, a Cyrenian. And, of course, as we look at the account... Simon just happened to be there and someone pulled him out and he was given this laborious job of carrying the cross. Because at this point, our Savior had already been beaten to a pulp, literally. Now as we look and behold these things, we would look and by our side it would seem that Simon was the one that seemed to appear to have the most difficult job, the non-important job, the laborious job of just carrying an old cross. Whereas Pilate, the man of power, the man of position, that's what it would appear as we behold these things. But I wonder now if I ask you this evening, if you had the choice, which one of those men would you rather be? Would you rather be the one that truly had the job that Simon had or the one of power that fell under the fear of the people? We find that as we look here in our reading from verses 27 down through verses 32, we find the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's making this journey to Calvary's Hill. And, of course, as we read there, we find that the Bible says that some of the ladies were weeping because, you see, it appeared as we behold this sight, as we behold these things, it seemed that Jesus was the one that needed to be cried over. (laughs) And yet, as Jesus spoke to them, he told them in verse 28, weep not for me but weep for yourselves. And he gave them a little insight into what the future truly holds. And, of course, we find that in verse 32 and verse 33, then we find that they come to this place called Calvary, where he's placed there between the two thieves. As we look there, we find, and there was also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, 
There they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. This was a place that was set aside that was for the specific purpose of humiliating a human being as much as they could be humiliated as they were punished for their crime and put to death. The Romans had come up with this way of death because it was so humiliating and it was so painful. You see, as we behold these things before us, this site, this place called Calvary, it would appear to be a place of guilt because the only people that would have been placed upon those crosses to be crucified on Calvary were those that had been found guilty of crimes worthy of the death sentence. And yet, as we look at this place, as we hold this place that appeared to be for the sinner, in reality, it was the sinless that was hanging there. Though as we behold these things, it appeared to be a place of guilt because these men had been found guilty, yet we find the only truly innocent blood that's ever been in a human being is what was being shed on that place that was called Calvary. As we read on in the account here, we find that there was no shortage of hatred, of anger. That's what this place seemed to be like. We find that in verse 33, that we find that it was the place where that they crucified him. In verse 35, the people again stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar as we behold the sight at Calvary, as we behold these things. We find that this is the crowd that was crying those words time and time again when they were talked out of it, crucify him, crucify him. And he tells us here in verse 33, they crucified him. You see, as we behold these sights, it would appear to be a place of such hatred and such anger as we listen to these and their actions towards our Savior. And yet in reality, as we read in verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As we behold these sights to the natural eye, there seems a place of anger and hatred. In reality, it's a place of the greatest compassion as our Savior hangs there and cries out for their forgiveness. We find that as He hangs there and as they deride Him and as they mock Him and as they make fun of everything about Him, He goes on to say in verse 37, and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. If you're really who you say you are, then save yourself. You see, as we behold these things, it would appear to the world that it was a place of weakness for those that were nailed to the cross. Yet they did not realize that no man was taking this life from this one called Jesus. He was laying it down of his own free will, though it appears to be 
a place of weakness as he hangs there. In reality, he was the place of the greatest strength, the strength to stay on that cross when he could have come down, the strength to die when he need not die in his power, yet he could do none else. We find that as we see there in verse 38, and a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. The derision, the mockery. In other words, what they were saying is that this was an imposter. <laughs> he wasn't really who he said he was anyway. That was what they first accused him of, of claiming to be the Christ. But we know in reality, <laughs> the one that hanged there was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know in reality that rather being the place of an imposter and derision, that in fact, it was a place of the greatest testimony that's ever been given. Notice in verses 47 and 48, now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site beholding the things which were done smote their breasts and returned. See, they knew who he was, what had happened. As we behold these things, this sight at Calvary, we would think from verses 39 and 40 that it appears as we look upon Calvary as surely a place of condemnation. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself in us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? Don't you have any fear? Don't you realize that you've been condemned to die? And yet you sit here making light and making fun of this man? But you see, as behold these sights, as it may have appeared, a place of condemnation to many and to the world, we realize that in fact it was a place of salvation. You see in verse 42 and 43, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Behold these things. As we look at verses 44 and 45, as we behold the scenes at Calvary, it appears to be a place of darkness. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, so midday from noon until three in the afternoon. There was this great darkness over all the earth, and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. As we behold this sight, there is a darkness that shows us the severity of sin to our holy God. But as you see, as men appear upon that darkness that day for that three-hour period, we find that in fact, it was the very access to the light itself. Because the one that hung upon that cross is the light. As that veil was torn in twain, 
It gave us access to the true light. The true light that would light up our hearts. The light that the Bible shows us one day will light up all of heaven. So as we behold these sights, there was a darkness. Oh, but amid that darkness, there was a light that lights even down to mine and your hearts we gather here this evening. You see, as we read verse 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. As we behold these things, it appears as we look at Calvary that we're looking at a place of death. That it was the only death that could put our sins away. But you see, in reality, as we behold this sight, as we behold these things, it was a death that the Bible says brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, praise the Lord. <laughs> a place of life. Matter of fact, as we behold the scene at Calvary, you could, in essence, say that we behold the very death of death itself. And one day, one day, the Bible says, death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire, yes. But it was defeated on Calvary, folks. It was defeated when the Lord Jesus Christ not only gave his life and died for our sins, when they found that empty tomb the third day, <laughs> it was all finished. It was done with. You see, as we behold the sights of Calvary, and I am absolutely convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that every time that I read of what took place there, I'm convinced that every time though I tell myself that I'll get in this pulpit and not make a fool of myself, even just getting a glimpse, we can't even begin to imagine what the Lord Jesus Christ went through for you and I. We find that as we behold that sight, that one that appeared to be a place of anger and hatred and bloodshed and all of those things in all of its ugliness. But aren't you glad? that as we behold that blood that was shed on Calvary, that's what sealed the peace plan, the peace treaty for all of eternity for you that are his children this evening. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that as we behold these things, all things aren't necessarily as they appear to be. But as we look and as God enlightens us and allows us to see what took place there, as a church, we come around the Lord's table once again this evening to remember Him. You think it's tough sometimes being forgetful? <laughs> the older I get, the tougher it gets, believe me. <laughs> he knew us. He knew how easy it would be Life is pretty busy sometimes, isn't it? 
And even with all of your very best intentions, we get so wrapped up in all the things that are going on. Sometimes, as the songwriter said, oh, we just need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. <laughs> we need to gaze upon him. He knew. He said one time, you know, that there's, there's nothing magical in this that we do here this evening. There's nothing here that can make anyone more of a Christian. As the Lord Jesus Christ himself celebrated that last Passover, we find that he instituted this table there with his chosen apostles, which the Bible teaches us the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I say to you, that this ordinance that we celebrate this evening, it was not something that was given to the world. It was something that was given to the church. As a local church, as we come around this table, it's not because we say we're the only ones on the way and nobody else has got the answers. That's between them and God. But we find that it's not just a time of our unity because we can't truly be at one with God unless we're one with one another. We find that that was one of the great things as the Apostle Paul addressed the church at Corinth. They were making a mockery of this table. They were making light of it because of the divisions and the things that were between them, the disunity that was there. I likened it to, you know, I find it hard to believe sometimes. I think it was, who was a, I was talking to somebody this week. Did I talk to anybody in here this week? <laughs> I think it was Brother Dave Kistler when I was speaking on the phone to him earlier this week. We were looking back because the first time that Brother Dave came to preach in this church for the rededication of this sanctuary when it had been closed down for so long, I was 34 years old and he was like 30 years old. <laughs> Guess what? I'm not 34 anymore. <laughs> He's not 30 anymore either. <laughs> but the fact is, is that God has blessed us and he has brought together and he has built his church and his people. I said one time that, you know, I can remember a lot of things about my dad when he was in this world. And my dad was a very young man, younger than me, when he left this world. But, you know, even today, you know, a lot of times in the day-to-day -day things, I don't go around thinking about my dad all the time. But he's still part of me. And yet when I maybe walk into our living room and I see that photograph of my mom and my dad hanging on the wall there, you know, it just automatically brings back memories. It puts me in remembrance of him. You know, that's what Jesus, the body, which the bread symbolizes, the blood, which the cup symbolizes, he wants to put us 
in remembrance of him. As we come, we realize that the whole thing is, is the communion. We call it a communion table for a reason. This evening, you don't do this to be saved. It is only for those that are saved. And it wasn't given to individuals. It was given to the local church. He had his 12 that he chose, those that were closest to him. There were all kinds of disciples out there that could have been. We find that it's important because he tells us it's a time of examination. Now, most of you know if you've been around this church for very long, I do not believe that there is, matter of fact, I believe that what is practiced in probably a great number, if not a majority of churches today, which is called open communion, which just means they say, all them that love the Lord, come on and take. That sounds nice, it sounds gracious, and it sounds polite. But folks, it's not biblical. We find that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave it to the church, he gave it to his church. Now, we invite those that if you feel welcome to come and you're in agreement with this church, if you're not a member of this local church, because the table is actually for the members of the church to come together. But we invite guests, if you are part of another church and of like precious faith, they'll be in unity and in accord with what we believe. If you're not, we still love you, and you're still welcome to be part of this service, and I hope and pray that you can think and remember the Lord Jesus Christ as we do. But we don't want to make light and make a mockery of what the Lord has given us here this evening. And he tells us that it's necessary to examine ourselves. You see, it'd be wrong of you, even if you are part of this church or a church of like faith. And you've got a problem with maybe it's somebody else that's sitting here tonight or somebody else that's not sitting here tonight. You can't truly be at one with the Lord until you get that thing resolved and sorted. You see, he wants us to examine ourselves because he tells us that he would rather us examine ourselves and resolve it and sort it out rather than for him out of love to have to chastise us to sort us out. He says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. For for my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. For just a moment, quietness scares us sometimes. <laughs> quietness makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes. But I want us just to take a few moments of quiet contemplation. Examine ourselves. You see, there's nothing this bread or this cup can do for you this evening to give you the real communion that it ought to give you with the Lord. This evening, we want it to be a time of special communion. But there's nothing that we can do or that these elements can do to bring that communion if the communion is not there within your heart. So this evening, let us take, the Bible says, but let a man 
examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Because God wants real communion with us this evening. If there's something there, if there's some sin, if there's something that is separating that, that communion, that relationship with God, he wants you to take care of it. He doesn't want to have to take care of it for you. But he's asked you to do it for yourself. And you see, as we come to remember Jesus, as we come into his presence, he should make us want to deal with anything that would separate us from him. We're remembering him this evening. Our contemplation from Scripture has been remembering what he did for us at Calvary. But I want you to remember right now, not only what he did for you at Calvary, but what he wants to do for you right now. What he did there was that you might live now, that you might have that communion. Let's take just a moment, a quiet prayer, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Then I'll be serving to you, first of all, the bread, which we'll retain and eat together. I believe that's what tearing one another is all about. And then we'll take of the cup. But prior to that, let's just take a moment of quiet contemplation and prayer. And above all else this evening, whether or not that you are free and ought to take of this bread and this cup, I trust and pray that in your heart you can have that sweet, sweet communion that you can say as the songwriter said, nothing between my soul and the Savior.